Hear the word of the Lord from Matthew 6. This was all planned out as a test to see how flexible you were, how you deal with situations. And, you know. okay. Be careful not to practice your righteousness in front of others to be seen by them. If you do, you will have no reward from your Father in heaven. So when you give to the needy, do not announce it with trumpets as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and on the streets to be honored by others. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward in full. But when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, so that your giving may be in secret. Then your Father, who sees what is done in secret, will reward you. Second reading from Acts chapter 4. All the believers were one in heart and mind. No one claimed that any of their possessions was their own, but they shared everything they had. With great power, the apostles continued to testify to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. And God's grace was so powerfully at work in them that all there were no needy persons among them. For from time to time, those who owned land or houses sold them, brought the money from sales and put it at the apostles' feet, and it was distributed to anyone who had need. Joseph, a Levite from Cyprus, whom the apostles called Barnabas, which means son of encouragement, sold a field he owned and brought the money and put it at the apostles' feet. Now a man named Ananias, together with his wife Sapphira, also sold a piece of property. With his wife's full knowledge, he kept back part of the money for himself, but brought the rest and put it at the apostles' feet. This is the word of the Lord. So I want to start with um, a first grade thing with me. When I was in first grade, we had this thing called show and tell. Does that ring a bell to anybody? Show and tell. And you bring an object lesson and you tell a story about what that object was about. And being, uh, well, first of all, I want to say that I, I developed my cynical streak early on in life, and I refer to it as show off and tell. Uh, it, there was a lot of that going on. And I, uh, I lived uh, kind of a dull life. Hard for you to imagine that, I'm sure. But in first grade, uh, not a lot of things to tell, not a lot of things to show, until one weekend, and I think it was this time of year, I broke my arm. Great day. It was just a great day. Because I had a cast on my arm. And I knew that when I went into school on Monday, I would be able to participate in a big way with show and tell. Now, the, the, um, there's, you know how you do that fortunately, unfortunately thing? That was the fortunate part. I know it sounds crazy, broken arm. Fortunately, I had a broken arm. Unfortunately, there was a girl who broke her leg that weekend. <laughs> Not only did she have a cast, big one, but she had a wheelchair. <laughs> The Rodney Dangerfield of first grade, right? If you know what that, yeah. Yeah. Um, that all said, you know, at first grade, kind of, you get on a trajectory for life, and if you think about it, there's a lot of showing and telling that goes on in the world, and you learn how to do that maybe in a more mature way as you get, as you get older. And um, let me go to this statement that I, I heard years ago that the, the most important things to the human heart are significance and security. You, you give people significance and security, and you've, given, you've met their deepest needs. So what show and tell will do is it will, it, it's the desire for significance. And you can see it in that first grade heart of mine and all the rest and probably yours. But uh, 
You, and as you get older, it, it can take on, you know, money is such a potent symbol of significance in our world. And so you can do a lot of showing and telling in that way by the car you drive or the house you live in or the school you go to or whatever. None of you would know anything about that. But there's another, that word security also comes in here. And um, I, I, I was with a, a dear friend who... I trust and have deep conversations with, and this was 15 years ago or so where we talked, and I was kind of confessing to him my struggle wasn't with significance, although I certainly, you know, probably would want to have more, I mean, whatever, but uh, I don't want to say I totally, you know, am clean on that, but I struggle with security, and I, so I wouldn't, another, here's how it worked with money, we were, I was confessing my relationship with money. That I wouldn't go out and buy things just to impress people. I mean, how crass, right? Well, maybe, you know, I mean, I don't know, whatever. But it seems crass to me. But what I might do is not spend money to impress people, but hoard it. Uh, against the fears that I have, the, the, uh, you know, the, I don't want to go into that insecurity zone. I don't like that feeling. And, and so my focus on money was just as much, this is my confession, my, it was just as much as the person who would spend it on flashy stuff. I was just as obsessed or, or was at least trying to identify that and, and work on that. And he, what the interesting was, when I shared that with him, he shared the same thing with me. Uh, he had the same issue in his life, and we were able to uh, at least walk with each other around that issue. So that opens up this, uh, I, want, I want to go here, we're getting into Jesus' words. It's hard to talk about uh, money, but we're in a season with this campaign now where we kind of have to, right? And, uh, well, that's what we're going to do anyway. And I want to make sure that we're basing our conversations in the words of Jesus. Jesus talked a lot about money. Money makes people uncomfortable. I'm sure Jesus made people feel uncomfortable uh, a lot as he did a lot of teaching around the topic of money. And so we're going to anchor ourselves in his words. We're going to wrestle with his words. And then I'm going to tell, this is the Sunday where I'm going to tell a little bit of my story uh, related to this topic. And then we're going to finish up in the the book, the Acts reading. So we'll start in Matthew. We're going to move to Acts. I'll be in the middle. It's kind of a sandwich. I'm in the middle. (laughs) I don't know, whatever that means. Um, so, uh, Matthew 6, it's part of the uh, Sermon on the Mount. Jesus is teaching on how to live, uh, and he d- 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 opens up new horizons and deeper parts of the heart than anyone could ever imagine. This, this particular reading is, it has to do with money, but it's part of a longer section, and there's three markers or signposts for somebody who is righteous in first century Israel. If you are a righteous person, you will give alms to the poor, you will pray publicly, and you will fast in a way that people would, at least, these things needed to be evidenced outwardly. And that's how you identified a righteous person. And you can read about the prayer and fasting part if you like. We didn't read that part. We're just going to focus in on the money part. But Jesus, there's a, there's a pattern here or a template that Jesus is working through these three issues. And, uh, but in, in beginning with uh, this one here, so we have this, uh, the, the hypocrisy is the word that sticks out. And you'll find those in all three of those areas with the fasting and the, and the prayer as well. So Jesus is really concerned about hypocrisy. In fact, the whole, here's a way to talk about the Sermon on the Mount. There's this huge concern with your behavior. I mean, it is like how you live on the street, how you act, 
on a Monday or a Tuesday or whatever. It's, it's really, really important. And Jesus gives specific instructions on how you are to live. But equally, and it's hard to say which one is more weighty, equally important is the motivation from which that behavior is coming. And a hypocrite is somebody who has a heart that is one direction and their behavior is the other direction. And they're, it's literally, they're play acting at, at whatever the thing is. And so Jesus is saying, that's not how you do life. That's in these three illustrations on money, prayer, and tithing. Let me show you a different way to do them. And uh, then we have the hyperbole that he uses. Jesus is a great teacher. Great teachers will use in their toolbox is hyperbole. Hyperbole is exaggerating a truth to the extreme. And so he talks to them or points to the hypocrites as being like people who blow, you know where the phrase toot your own horn comes from? I don't know if it comes from here or not, but it sure could. <laughs> I mean, you know, these are people who, it's almost like, they don't literally do it, but it's almost like they're coming to the offering and they're putting their check in and they're doing it in a big way. And the, the trumpets are blowing and the drums are rolling, whatever. But Jesus, it's not literally happening that way, but that's kind of the, the ethos of the whole thing. It, it, it would fit in that kind of thing. And then he uses this phrase for how you are to give, and it's don't let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. That's, just try that sometime, and you'll be really confused. So these are, this is what hyperbole is meant to teach you, not literally what to do, but it gives you the extreme, and then you figure it out from there. So we have that in this teaching. And then we have the rewards promised. And both groups, both those who have alignment of heart and and disalignment of heart, or whatever, unalignment, both groups will get their reward. Those who are the hypocrites, their reward that they seek is to get the approval of people. And those who are doing things with another motivation from the heart are going to get their uh, reward from their Heavenly Father. But both groups, it says, get rewards. So that's, that's all in that text. Now, is that, are, you, are you clear so far? On, on that, it's pretty, pretty straightforward, right? And um, it, well, let me let me make you confused. Can, you, are you up for that? Yeah, I've done that before, so you know, I'm going to try to get you confused, and then I'm going to try to answer that confusion. So what we're going to do here is go a little deeper. And to do so, I need to go to Matthew. This is the introduction to the Sermon on the Mount. And I've I've had to pare it down. Just There's more to it. And it's a famous uh, passage, but here's the gist of it. You are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Let your light shine before others. And that phrase before others in the original uh, language is exactly the same as what he uses in chapter 6, which we just read. Don't do your acts of of giving before others in order for them to to notice you. But it's exactly the same. But here it says, let your light shine before others, that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. Did that... Hopefully that brings a little bit of confusion. Into that, that, otherwise, I don't have a sermon. You know, I mean, you've got to help me out here. Yeah. Are you confused, Holly? Okay, good, good, good. At least one person is thoroughly confused. All right. Um, so what I'd like to do right now is, is it, from my own story, give an example. Because we're trying to figure out how to talk about money, and Jesus opens up conversations. And uh, I'd, I'd like to um, take a shot at it. And then we'll come back, and I think 
the, the passage in Acts will, if I didn't make it clear, that will, okay? Uh, my story, I, I'm not going to, I'm going to go into it, particularly how it relates to, uh, to giving campaigns in churches and how that affected my life, because it really had a huge impact in my life. And I know my life's not uh, the same for every, we're all in different places, different stories, but this is just me, this is, you know, it's my story and I'm sticking to it kind of thing. And I, I began my Christian journey in my early, tw- or t- age 24, and prior to that, I, I don't remember ever giving anything to anybody in terms of, like, charity. Uh, I, I, maybe I, I did, but I have no memory of, of that happening. It wasn't part of my life. And, you know, quite honestly, for a lot of people in their 20s, you got enough things to worry about, you know, and you're trying to figure out what this adult thing means. And, uh, but then I, I became a Christian, and I started listening to, you know, every week they do the offering, and they, they use this word tithe. What does that mean? And... I found out that it meant 10%. Well, at that time, I earned the exorbitant, this, take, this goes back a ways, the exorbitant figure of $1,000 a month. It was a, good, it was a good wage back then, you know, in those days. And um, then uh, I was never good at math. It was part of my, started in first grade, I found that out. And then I could do the math, though. 10%. You know, it's pretty easy, right? Just, you, you move the zeros around and $100. Okay, I got it. So I went from zero to $100 a month in basically, no, I mean, it just bingo, there I am. Now, in doing that, I just knew that Jesus said that, or somebody told me anyway, I mean, it's a rumor, has it, you know, kind of, well, that's what you do. Okay, I'll do it. And I, I had fears in going from here to here. And the fears had to do with you know, I was kind of thinking I might get married in the next few years, and if I get married, I'll probably have a father-in-law. And, you know, if you have a father-in-law, he wants his daughter to be marry somebody who's financially solvent. You know what I'm talking about here? And uh, then I, I wanted to buy a house. So how am I going to do this? You know, you go to the bank, and you tell them you're, you know, you, is that going to work? You know, those fears that come into that conversation. All right, I did it. And life worked. I got uh, my wife is she's not not here right now, but she's out there somewhere with the kids. Uh, and I owned a small house, and uh, somehow all of that was good. But then I was going to a church. I was I was in business at the time, and I was going to a church. And guess what? They were having a building campaign. I didn't know what that was, but I just thought, well, I don't really care for buildings. I just care for ministry. So we're not going to give to that. You know, based on some principle that I had inside me. And that's just where I was. But we didn't want to be a slacker, right? So I decided, we decided that we're going to give more to the regular you know, church fund, you know, and just do it that way. Uh, it's kind of funny that once the new building was open, I loved it, you know. <laughs> I guess I was a slacker. But anyway, um, but the fears at that time were, so we, we ended up giving more. And the, the fears at that time, though, were we're talking about having kids, Oh, are kids expensive? <laughs> it's great that it, they're more valuable than they are expensive, right? But they are expensive. And then we needed a bigger home because we ended up with three kids and we were in a you know, two-bedroom house. And, you know, you can only... You do, I mean, you just do the, the stuff. And a lot of you have done that. yet. And you, but the fears are, will I have enough? Okay. 
We made it through that. And then I became, fast forward 15 years or so, and I became a pastor, became a church planter. We're on the, we're on the Alcan, never done this before, you know, and three kids in the back. Dad, where are we going? When are we going to get there? And I don't know, next month sometime, you know, it takes forever. We get there, we plant the church, there's 30 people there. And the church grows. We're meeting in a school lunchroom. The school district did not want us to be there as a permanent resident. They made that very clear. And so they kept pushing on us, and, and we were growing, and we were meeting in a, school, a middle school lunchroom. And uh, for five years, we were able to meet in that lunchroom. And then, uh, and I'm telling you, miracles can happen in a middle school lunchroom. It's, it's amazing. It's amazing what God did in that holy space on Sundays. And then we moved into our building. But to get into our building, we had to have, guess what? Here we go. This is coming back to haunt me. I didn't like building campaigns, and now we're going to have one. So um, just processing all of that, our kids are now in their uh, teen or preteen ages. And uh, as a family, thinking all the things that we can't do because we're going to do this. We're going to have to step up. I'm, I'm the leader of the whatever that means here, I'm going to have to lead and we're going to have to give in faith and so we, we did give up sacrificially and we could actually list the things that we, we couldn't do because we were giving. It was that kind of time in our lives but we did it and guess what? Three, we had three of those campaigns in 11 years and each time we did we increased you know, we had to, you, you increased but when the campaigns were over we ended up giving more than when the campaign... I mean, I don't know how to say this, because we, we would give an amount to the campaign that was a faith commitment, and then when the campaign ended, we would give less than that, but way more than we were giving before the campaign. Does that make sense? And I have testimonies of other people on that. It's really cool. Why is that? You find out that God is faithful. And you didn't know he was faithful until you tested him on that, you know? And... Uh, there's a place for CPAs and people with lots of financial wisdom, but there's a place for faith as well. So I discovered uh, the faithfulness of God. Now, what? guess what? When you have kids in the teen years, what's your big fear? College. Well, you may have other big fears too, but <laughs> there's a lot of things on that list. But in terms of finances, it's probably going to be college. So we get, I mean, and then reflecting on all that, uh, I got the wife, trophy wife, basically. <laughs> you can tell her I said that. <laughs> no, I got the ha- we got the house, we got the kids. They all went to college. I, I just I started to notice a pattern in my life, and we were always giving more. And. <laughs> You know, it, how do I, it's not a formula. It's not a formula. It was just things of the heart that happened. That's my story. But I've never had, I've had buyer's regret many times for stupid things I've bought, you know. But I've never had giver's regret. And I've never met anybody that's had giver's regret. Like, I wish I hadn't given so much so I could spend more on something else. I've never, I've never I don't hear it. So now, we're looking at a campaign and... What do, I'm not 30 anymore. I'm not 40 anymore. I know I'm surprising some of you as I go forward here. I'm not 50 anymore. I won't go any further, but <laughs> guess what my big fear is right now? Some of you know this word. 
And I'm guessing that every day you get the same thing in the mail I do. You have not got enough saved. You're going to die. You're going you're to retire. You're going to die and be poor right there. You know, it's that kind of message that just comes screaming at you all the time. And guess what? At this point in life, I'm saying no, no, no. I, God speaks louder than whoever T. Rowe Price or whoever it is. <laughs> He's got the voice. He's got the track record. That is me. Okay, that's my show and tell. That's my cast, folks. Look at it, you know, admire, whatever. But I don't care. It's just my story. That's my show and tell. Now, did I, what did I illustrate there? I hope I illustrated that that's God's work in me. I shared it before others. I didn't give you numbers. I didn't want to do that. Uh, in our campaign, we're not focusing on the numbers. We're focusing on the heart. The stuff in my heart, there's just been this work of God that's happened over time as I've trusted him for more of his faithfulness. And it comes in many different ways. So let's look at the book of Acts. And if I didn't illustrate that well, maybe this one will. So you have this amazing passage where all the believers were one in heart and mind. And then it's illustrated by the way they treat each other socioeconomically. You had different people, different classes. They were all one. They, they, they were selling their stuff. I mean, this is not normal for the early Christian church, but this was a sweet spot in the church's history where this just happened naturally. No one was saying you should. It just happened. And why? It's all found in this little phrase in verse 33 that much grace was upon them. Much grace, we could also translate that as much generosity. The generosity of God was upon them. They realized how much they had received from God through the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. I mean, it was just, it, it just overwhelmed them. And so they did all this crazy stuff. And then one person in particular who we want to focus on is this guy named Joseph or Barnabas. So let me read that verse for you, verse 36 and 37. Joseph a Levite, meaning he was Jewish, one of the Jewish tribes, from Cyprus. So he was, he was in uh, Jerusalem, but not from Jerusalem. He was from Cyprus, which means his name uh, is, is called Barnabas. The, the uh, apostles called him Barnabas, and that means son of encouragement. He sold, all of, or he sold a field that he owned, and he brought the money and put it at the apostles' feet. Now, this is show and tell if I've ever seen it. This guy comes and says, here. (laughs) Now, so the question is, what is he showing and what is he telling? Well, first of all, Barnabas is a wonderful name. It means son of encouragement. How many of you would like to have a Barnabas in your life? I mean, don't you just long for that? Think of people who encourage you. And wherever we see Barnabas in the New Testament, we find this man who is very, very encouraging to others. And the way Luke writes this, you can tell he's very positive on what Barnabas is doing here. He's not saying, you're, you're blowing your trumpet. He's, he's doing it from a heart that has been overwhelmed by the grace of God, and it was an encouragement to the early church. He placed it at the feet of the, the apostles. Very wonderful thing. It's very encouraging. Sweet. It's really, it's, it, it comes right out of the, 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 they picked that, Luke picked that story to tell out of all the others that could have been told. But then he gives a contrast to that. And that's the story of Ananias and Sapphira. And it's not pretty. And 
I didn't even want to read the whole story because how ugly it gets. That not a good ending for them. But it's the the writer is purposefully contrasting what they did with what Barnabas did. Now, a man named Ananias, together with his wife Sapphira, also sold a piece of property. And by the way, we don't know. First of all, we don't know how much property uh, Barnabas owned. He said he sold a field. He might have owned a hundred fields. I mean, we don't know. We don't know if he got a large sum of money for that piece of property. And Ananias and Sapphira did the same thing. The writer is not concerned with the dollar amounts. It's about the the heart. And I want you to hear that, folks, because some of you I know have asked me, well, what, what, what amount? You know, it's not. It's just, it's a heart thing. And you'll know as you pray more deeply. Push yourself down or allow the Holy Spirit to reveal that stuff to you. I can't. And, and what they're doing here is, is it illustrates that. So they, they also sold a piece of property. With his wife's full knowledge, he kept back part of the money for himself. And he brought the rest and put it at the apostles' feet. Now, what happens next is not good, but Peter, I'll just tell you the first part. Peter says to them, this is not good. You have lied to the Holy Spirit. Now, that tells us that had this couple come to the apostles and said, we're going to give you this much. We sold the field for this much, but we're going to give you half of it or whatever. That would have been fine. They lied about it. In other words, they wanted to look like Barnabas but their hearts weren't like Barnabas's heart. Barnabas's heart is, is just overwhelmed with generosity. Their concern is like the, the, the trumpet people in Matthew chapter 6 that Jesus is addressing. Do you see the difference here? It's all about the heart. And if your motivation, they might have given an amount 10 times greater than Barnabas. We don't know. Could have. Wouldn't have mattered. It's not about that. It's about where their motivation was in their heart. And they were, they were not show and telling. They were show off and telling. And why were they doing that? We don't know. Maybe it was for significance. They liked, you know, the accolades that Barnabas, they saw Barnabas getting accolades. Didn't matter. Barnabas, he was concerned with his heavenly father. But, you know, people, they respect people that do stuff out of their character. He's an encourager. They wanted some of that respect, maybe. Or maybe they had fears. The security stuff. Here's my, my observation, is that most people want to be generous. They really do. But they have a hard time being generous. And I'm, you know, like you heard my story, I, I admit it. And how do you get through those fears? I mean, we want, I want the house, I want the wife, I want the kids, I want the college thing, I want the retirement, I want... Can I still, I mean, am I going to have enough? Am I going to have enough? And, you know, money is that, that thing that measures success. We don't have a lot of things that can measure. It's a scorecard. And so you, there's a certain level where you feel like you have to have it to be successful. And your heavenly father, he doesn't care about any of that stuff. He cares about you. He cares about your heart. So that, that I, what I'd like you to do right now, and I'm going I'm to ask you to do this, is just, if you can close your eyes, and it's helpful, because I believe we all have some insecurity zones, just name that fear, whatever it is. I've given you some examples, but just name that fear. Now turn that 
into a prayer. It's real simple. Lord, help me grow in trusting you with this fear. Amen. And one more thought is that Barnabas, um, the, the, you know, this generosity that overcame him, it, it, he was overwhelmed with the generosity of God. It, it came upon him. And it has to do with the cross and the resurrection. It's real simple stuff. But he realized the price that Jesus paid for him, that he could never pay it back. And so all he can do is just be overwhelmed by that grace. And that's his show and tell. It's beautiful stuff. Lord, thank you for your grace that finds us here this morning. We too are graced, heavily graced, with meaning that we've much that we haven't deserved that we have received. And responding to you, Lord, what's our show and tell? Help us to figure that out. And may our hearts be pure. May our hearts be for you. We we look forward, Lord, to the real rewards that come as we yield our hearts to you. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen.